I'm Afshin Ratansi and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from the UAE in a week where both the USA and Russia conducted nuclear war drills. In Britain, no such safety drill, perhaps one for British politicians in their bunkers. But as Russian President Vladimir Putin turned 71, NATO nations began war exercises in northern Scotland, presumably training against Russia and China. Let's go straight to the U.S. Capitol and a retired U.S. Marine Corps colonel and former Pentagon official. He's now senior advisor of the International Security Program at the U.S. Weapons Company-funded Center for Strategic and International Studies, Mark Kansian. Thanks for having me on the show. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, let's go straight, actually, to your latest piece, because uh, as the world, or at least the United States, reels uh, to the news that you've uh, deposed the Speaker of the House, the uh, people in, the, in Congress, you've written a piece, which I suppose in BRICS nations people do talk about, but not so much on the BBC or CNN, uh, it's called most aid to Ukraine is spent in the United States. A total shutdown would be irresponsible. What do you mean most aid uh, to Ukraine is spent in the U.S.? Uh, that's not what Anthony Blinken says nightly or people on the uh, press department podium or in the White House. They say this is for the people of Ukraine. Well, the two are not exclusive. Uh, I wrote the piece to give a sense of the many different elements of what is referred to as aid to Ukraine, because aid to Ukraine is really a misnomer. This is really aid as a result of the war in Ukraine. Some of the aid goes to Ukraine. Some of it helps Ukraine. Uh, some of it, it helps the uh, United States and other uh, allies. For example, uh, a chunk of the package of aid to Ukraine pays for US forces to deploy to Eastern Europe the United States began those deployments right after the war began. They were at about 20,000 troops. They're down to about 10. They're there to reassure the Europeans and uh, improve uh, deterrence uh, against the Russians. Uh, but paying for that uh, is part of this uh, aid to Ukraine. But that money, most of, the, most of it stays in the United States. Another example is weapons. When we send weapons, we, the United States, send weapons to Ukraine. There's money to replace those weapons. That money goes mostly to U.S. arms manufacturers. So the weapons themselves go to Ukraine, helps Ukraine in its uh, fight against Russia, but the replacement uh, uh, goes to U.S. manufacturers. So when you consider... And agriculture. You actually, I mean, people can read it online, but you mentioned agriculture as well? That's right. Uh, there's a, a piece of the humanitarian aid that helps countries... Uh, who are su suffering as a result of the disruption in um, gl global uh, uh, food trade, particularly uh, wheat coming out of Ukraine and Russia, and the Department of Agriculture uh, oversees programs in the United States that help those countries with food. You see, you're in danger sounding like Julian Assange, who said it's a laundromat, and actually all these wars, the money gets recycled and actually comes back to the United States. That's why your article may cause some shock, because uh, it's usually an argument made by the anti-war left in the United States, and the MAGA Republicans, uh, even they, some of them get donations like uh, your institution for the weapons companies. They want to keep this secret. I don't think so. I've, I've seen a number of uh, commentators and even uh, members of Congress uh, making this argument. Uh, you know, there's nothing uh, secret about it. And as I note, 
just because the money is spent in the United States doesn't mean it doesn't help uh, Ukraine, for example, uh, with the provision of uh, weapons, uh, with humanitarian assistance. Uh, uh, you know, the fact that it uh, ends up in the United States, I think, should maybe make people a little more comfortable with it. But in many instances, it doesn't mean that it uh, helps Ukraine any less. See, the interesting thing is that Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House spokesperson, a journalist was shouting at her because Biden had said the shutdown of U.S. government was over Ukraine, and uh, she refused to confirm that that was true. Of course, uh, lots of debate on so-called mainstream media there about it, but your, your piece is very much trying to persuade people to continue support for Zelensky uh, on the basis that uh, a shutdown would be irresponsible. Is it your understanding that the bone of contention here is Ukraine and the funding for Ukraine? I mean, it's hard to even quantify the, the hundreds of billions of dollars that have been given to Ukraine or given to the United States through Ukraine. Yeah. Um, Ukraine was one of the elements. The, the broader element was about uh, government spending in general the uh, Republican right wanted to uh, reduce all spending, defense, but also uh, spending in you know, the government uh, as a whole. As a result, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, they were holding the, the government hostage. Uh, Ukraine is a, a, a part of it. It's important to note, too, though, that when the continuing resolution went to the floor of the House and passed overwhelmingly, if a bill supporting uh, aid to Ukraine went to the floor of the House. It would also be supported uh, overwhelmingly. The problem is that there's a small group of uh, conservative Republicans who are determined to cut government spending and cut aid to Ukraine. And because of the narrow margin in the House, uh, they have a lot of latitude. We're talking just, you know, less than two hands worth of people in the House. Um, the short answer is yes. The vote the, was uh, very marginal. The vote against the speaker, I, I think there were six Republicans who uh, voted against the speaker with the, the Democrats. Now, if you put a, uh, um, a bill on the floor about Ukrainian uh, aid, you would probably get 80 to 100 votes against it. Uh, but that means that there would still be 300 and 30-ish votes for it, uh, so it would pass overwhelmingly. Except that a CNN poll, which has been running uh, since February last year, shows a majority of Americans in the United States oppose funding for the war by 55%, 55% oppose. A majority claim the U.S. has done enough. A majority of the U.S. have obviously uh, said that it, it, uh, it endangers U.S. security. It's reflected in polls in Europe as well, where it's even bigger. 76% oppose military financing, 74% oppose financial support. I mean, there's a huge mismatch, isn't there, between, uh, say, that CNN poll and the congressman that you're talking about, who is all, uh, as you say, will always guarantee more funding for Zelensky. Uh, there is a split between uh, Congress and, uh, I think, the current polling. Uh, the support for the war has been uh, quite strong up until uh, recently. Um, but I think that reflects maybe the broader view that Congress has taken. And it's also not clear you know, how deep that opposition is um, when you see it in Congress. But 
Again, it's about 25% of the house. Okay, well, I'll get to the nuclear drills in a moment, but uh, tell me about the significance of NATO's joint warrior exercise in this week of Vladimir Putin's 71st birthday. They're, they're going on in uh, northern uh, Scotland and obviously in the shadow, I suppose, of hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians having been uh, killed uh, in the past uh, 12 months or so. Well, I think it's important to keep in mind that NATO has drills going on all the time, that you know, it's not that this one is particularly uh, focused on the current conflict. It was probably planned initially years ago, uh, but it is um, uh, a symbol and a, an indication about NATO's uh, continuing you know, uh, readiness, continuing um, focus on Russia, and you know, maybe somewhat on China. Also, NATO is a military alliance, and this is a reminder that military alliances conduct exercises in order to um, enhance deterrence and to be ready if conflict should come. But why are they uh, losing? I mean, all these billions of dollars worth of weapons have been sent, and clearly, you know, no, no progress seems to be being made in this counteroffensive, obviously. Uh, some people saying Russia's gained more ground, actually. And... Uh, it's just being sent to Ukraine to be destroyed by the Russians. So what, if they were always practicing war games, why are they failing? And of course, I could say that in the context of the fact that uh, uh, the United States has been defeated in war after war, of course, after Vietnam, where I understand you served. Uh, I, I did Desert Storm also. I say that the United States was quite uh, successful in that. Uh, I think the the uh, conventional wisdom on the United States is that we're very, very good in conventional conflicts like Desert Storm. We're not very good at insurgencies, as we saw in the latter part of Iraq and Afghanistan. But this is conventional uh, in, in Ukraine, of, isn't it? Uh, no, Ukraine is a different situation because it's the Ukrainians who are fighting. Uh, you, you noted the NATO exercise, and that's for NATO tr troops and to keep NATO uh, ready. Ukraine, of course, is not a member of NATO. Uh, we are supplying them with weapons and uh, training, uh, but you know they have a long way to go. And to be fair to them, they've greatly expanded their armed forces. They've taken a lot of casualties, um, but you know they'll, they you know they need to have a continuous flow of weapons and training if they're going to uh, continue resistance. Well, and this is true of every. That's going to make a lot of money. Very but, I mean, military. do they even have ammunition to practice with on this uh, NATO exercise today? Because there's a report. I mean, we've heard before comments from people. Um, we actually had Chuck Spinney of the infamous Spinney report on the show telling us about um, not only the ineffectiveness of some weapons, but also the uh, uh, loss of ammunition. Uh, we now hear from the Warsaw Security Forum that Admiral Rob Bauer uh, of the NATO Military Committee says, the bottom of the barrel is now visible. Basically, NATO doesn't have any ammunition. How did we get to that situation? Is it true? And uh, are they just practicing with, uh, what, uh, dummy ammunition on the NATO exercise? Um, I wouldn't say that NATO is out of ammunition. Uh, that NATO countries still have some stocks. Well, that's the it. No, no, but this is the scene, NATO's most senior military official, right? Admiral Rob Bauer, uh, I'm sure you know of him. Uh, 
I mean, they say the same thing in the United States, but when when they say we're at the bottom of the barrel, what what they mean, at least in the United States, is that we're at the bottom of what we can give to the Ukrainians. To give you an example uh, of Javelin missiles, we've given about 40% of our Javelin inventory to Ukraine. The Pentagon's reluctant to give any more because we would need that for other possible conflicts, for example, in Korea. So when you hear people say we're out of Javelins, we're not out of Javelins. We're out of Javelins that we can give to Ukraine without accepting risk that the Pentagon believes is uh, unacceptable. How would they help in Korea, Javelin missiles, given that uh, I know from the Trump memoirs why he rushed to Pyongyang, uh, or at least to meet with uh, Kim Jong-un so quickly, was when he heard, uh, as every president has to, that the North Koreans can, uh, well, I don't know, destroy Los Angeles in 33 minutes. Uh, surely Javelin missiles are kind of useless in Seoul, aren't they? Well, the North Koreans have a very large uh, military, very large uh, ground force. And uh, if there were a, an extended conflict on the peninsula, uh, javelins would be very helpful. But North Koreans also have a lot of tanks. Now they're very old tanks. But wouldn't they just uh, hit the United States? See it as existential. Uh, if the And the North U.S. Koreans can't protect might... themselves from that. No, the United States has a missile defense system that is, in fact, designed to shoot down North Korean missiles. You know, it's never been uh, tested against a real missile, uh, but there are defenses there. And their ability to strike the continental United States is still extremely limited. Uh, and if they did that, of course, the United States has overwhelming firepower uh, it could bring to bear. Retired Colonel, I'll stop you there. More from the senior advisor of the International Security Program at the U.S. Arms Company-funded Center for Strategic and International Studies after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with retired Colonel Mark Kantian, Senior Advisor of the International Security Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Colonel, we were just talking about uh, actually North, North Korea. You know, there's a lot of controversy over those uh, uh, defense systems that you have in the United States. They're infamous, they're secret, and uh, apparently can only shoot down at most three, isn't it? Three warheads and the North Koreans can shoot four. I don't know. Why is it, though, that uh, the United States is holding an uh, uh, emergency drill, perhaps a nuclear drill, this week, uh, just hours after Russia held their nationwide uh, drill? That means in your country, every phone, every television set, every radio emits the alarm, uh, uh, in this case, uh, that it's a rehearsal. Well, this sort of thing is not uncommon in the United States. They test the uh, nuclear broadcast system. They have done that periodically over well, many, many years. Uh, Sounds like the 1950s, though, Colonel, surely. When's the last time? For, uh, for the uh, broadcast system, I, mean, I think they test it every year. Uh, it's tested you know, quite frequently. Uh, the United States takes these uh, precautions seriously. Uh, the importance of being able to communicate in a disaster. Uh, the government also points out that these capabilities are not limited to nuclear wars and uh, nuclear incidents. You know, they can be used in natural disasters also. Yeah, they famously didn't work in uh, Maui, of course. 
Uh, given the fact, then, that the ammunition is running low, bottom of the barrel, according to NATO, what happens if, um, what happens if uh, the arms stop to Ukraine? Does that mean there really will be a negotiating table uh, time and people can actually start to negotiate some kind of peace rather than fueling the conflict? A lot depends on uh, how much aid gets to Ukraine. If the United States cut off all aid to Ukraine and all of the elements of that aid, it would be hard for Ukraine to continue its resistance. The Europeans and global community uh, contribute a lot. It's probably not enough to keep the Ukrainian armed forces in the field. Uh, they would be forced to uh, negotiate some sort of in-place ceasefire. Uh, and that would give Putin at least a partial victory. He uh, controls about 18% of Ukraine, and the settlement would allow him to keep that. So, so it's good if they run out of weapons because there'll be peace talks and there'll be a ceasefire, and people, few people will kill, and, be killed, arguably. And 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 Putin will have a partial victory. And you know, if you're comfortable with keeping Putin in power with a partial victory, then I think that's a win. Uh, if you're uncomfortable with that, uh, then that's a lose. So. You said Putin in, in power. I don't, it's not about keeping Putin in power, is it, the war? It's nothing well, to do with regime Putin, change in Russia, is it, this war? Well, if Putin wins the war, if there's a negotiated uh, ceasefire on the current line, Putin will claim that that's a victory and that will ensure that he stays in power. No, he's clearly uh, very, he's very defeated. popular anyway, isn't he? But, I mean, that's certainly not one of the aims. But, funnily enough, this week also, the State Department release their integrated country strategy. I think Politico said it was leaked wrongly, but actually it was up there on the website. Uh, what about the fact that uh, most of this State Department paper is talking about the importance of uh, US, I mean, this, to take one line, uh, they basically say the whole of Ukraine is corrupt. So I don't know where all the money is ending up. It seems to be the uh, implication. And the management objective of the US State Department Recruit, retain, train, and integrate a premier team to advance U.S. policy goals. So they issue a paper which basically says that Ukraine must be, is, is completely corrupt. It needs to be uh, reformed uh, urgently uh, because the political control is wielded by oligarchs and there's a whole system of corruption and anti-democratic, uh, sort of anti-democracy there. So that's, the, that's from the State Department. Is this really about um, democracy at all? I mean, I know you mentioned regime change in Russia. Is this really a war from start to finish about, uh, about Russia? Nothing to do with Ukraine. Well, it's really about both. If Russia had not invaded Ukraine, we would not be uh, having these discussions. And Russia invaded Ukraine um, uninvited. It was a... Um, uh, aggression on their part. Uh, in they terms say of unprovoked Ukraine, on U.S. media. Do, do you agree yes. with, that it was unprovoked? It, it was unprovoked. I mean, Russia argues that the existence of Ukraine as an independent country is a provocation. No, it never. You know that's not true. There were the Minsk Accords that. ratified at the U.N. Security Council, um, and it's the violation of that uh, that Russia claims is the is the reason for it. You said in 2019, NATO expansion weakens NATO. Quite a, quite a statement. What, what did you mean by that? And is NATO today at its weakest in history? 
argue that NATO is at its weakest, uh, but I I do uh, worry that uh, uh, expanding NATO uh, further eastwards, adding countries that are not fully stable, uh, would undermine NATO's cohesion. Did anyone listen to you when you wrote that piece? Because clearly, the people in the State Department, the policy think tanks are winning over your think tank. Uh, did anyone listen to you when you said that? Because I've never seen NATO expansion like it in terms of new members recently and the fretting in uh, high circles about uh, the fact that Slovakia is now led by someone who clearly does not agree with the uh, avowed Tony Blinken goals. Well, I wish I could say that people have listened to me, but they clearly have not. Uh, you know, we're talking about bringing in... Uh, uh, you know, a, a variety of countries. You know, we brought in a, a number of Balkan countries. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's strange. Why don't you think they listen to you? Uh, you know, there's tremendous momentum to expand NATO. You know, many countries regard NATO as, as something, you know, like the EU. I mean, a good thing to belong to uh, and, you know, has some benefits uh, and don't regard it as a security uh, alliance, you know, you know, the downplay that part, play up the uh, political part. So uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, I think that there's just a lot of political momentum towards expansion. You see that in the discussions about Ukraine also. Of course, that's what Vladimir Putin has been saying since 2014 and the uh, Maidan uh, coup. Arguably, other people were listening to what you were saying because all the leading presidential contenders for next year's uh, election um, appear to understand that there are dangers with this uh, unalloyed expansion. What, what do you think of the fact that the leading opposition figure in your country, Donald Trump, uh, wants immediate negotiations? Of course, RFK Jr., much more popular than Biden. He's running, Cornell West. They all want the war to end, the aid to Ukraine to stop, and a reevaluation of uh, the United States' role in NATO. And, and I suppose more thought about the American people who uh, suffer so much um, since the uh, economic crisis of 2008? Well, I think that there are also a number of candidates who uh, strongly support the war. You can see uh, Nikki Haley. Um, yeah, but and, uh, you, Pence, you know the example. polls about Nikki Haley. And, uh, well, you know, she's DeSantis probably number two uh, after uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump's all over the place. Uh, you know, when he's out of power, he says that he'll end the he'll end the war in in a day. Uh, you know, for Donald Trump, it's all about Donald Trump. Now, I mean, given that you observed these uh, issues, and as I say, said there were dangers with NATO expansion, why do you think Russia has not leveled Kiev? I mean, the Russian uh, uh, think tanks and analysts all say that the initial stages on February 22nd last year were merely a response to the increased shelling of Donbass in eastern Ukraine. You clearly understand that the Russians have the power to level Kiev in an hour. Why do they not do that? And why do American analysts continue to say, oh, we've got to pour more weapons and we can win this war and so on, when, as we know, uh, the more the, uh, the United States and Western Europe pour in, the more the Russians will just uh, uh, use to destroy all that machinery, equipment and personnel and, and, and sons and brothers and fathers of uh, Ukraine, and knowing that they can always win. I mean, you don't seriously think Russia can lose. Oh, Russia can certainly lose. How? Uh, they, uh, well, you, you can see that they are uh, 
being badly attrited on the battlefield. They're taking casualties probably two to one compared to the Ukrainians. Two to one. Uh, Where is this figure coming from? I mean, you said they're running out of ammunition unless uh, they're desperately in need of ammunition. I mean, what, I, I don't understand. I mean, you're a military man. You're, you're a Pentagon official. You're a colonel. Uh, you know that Russia could just, if they decided to, just go for it rather than this slow, slow means. Of course, people like Matt Getz, who started this House uh, speakership uh, uh, destruction in th this week, said uh, de-dollarization was the fear uh, he was concerned with when he put the motion in the House to unseat the Speaker. Does no one in the U.S. security uh, firmament understand that the United States dollar is under attack and the United States has to do something to defend it? and that in all this armament for Ukraine, they're destroying the use of the Federal Reserve and the dollar around the world? Um, I'll come back to the dollar in a minute, but to, to answer this question about being able to level Kyiv in an hour, the only way they could do that is with nuclear weapons, and of course that would be an escalation that would have- It doesn't have to be nuclear. It can be a uh, Satan uh, conventional weapon, as you know. No, the, the, the Russians have run out of conventional weapons. They, they've tried to level Kyiv. What you've seen is the maximum they can do. Their aerial attacks have become further and further apart. They've become weaker and weaker because they just don't have that many. Where is this left. intelligence information coming from that you're getting? Because everywhere in the global south, they're getting different types of information. Clearly in Beijing, they're getting really very different information, and they certainly must have watched former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton this week saying that Ukraine is really about the war on China. Where are you getting this information? They've run out of conventional weapons. They're losing it two to one. Uh, there have been some excellent uh, works by CSIS, but also some other think tanks. For example, RUSI in the UK has done uh, some great analysis on um, cruise missiles and the cruise missile inventories that the, the Russians have. Uh, and these are people who track the missiles one, you know, individually uh, and keep a, a count. Uh, so I think that their analysis is pretty dependable. Wait, wait, but what about the motive? It? What about the motive of RUSI, allied to MI6 in England, and your Center for Strategic and International Studies? We're, you're, uh, you're financed by arms companies. It's in the interests of your institute and of RUSI, both institutes that, of course, got us into so many wars in Libya, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Syria, uh, all lost by the United States, arguably, is in the interest to prolong the conflict and send more and more weapons to be destroyed because it makes more money for, those in for the donors who then supply your salary. You need to look at the data that they provide and the data for any uh, other uh, um, uh, organizations that make an argument in this space. Uh, I think RUSI has shown that their data is um, objective, uh, as has CSIS, and I would recommend that people look at that data uh, and make their judgments about whether it's reliable. Retired Colonel, thank you so much. Happy to join you. And that's it for the show. We'll be back on Monday with one of the candidates running against Joe Biden at next year's U.S. elections. The Libertarian Party's Jacob Hornberger, who, like other candidates, RFK Jr. and Cornell West, would end arms shipments to Zelensky. Until then, keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country, and head to our channel, Going Underground TV, on Rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Monday.